I'm here with my buddy, Curtis Borges. How's it going, man? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Good, good. I haven't seen you in a while. I think last time I saw you was Thanksgiving in uh, uh, Fayetteville. Yeah, and then we had a little Zoom chat uh, at Sawyer's house not too long ago, a couple of weeks back. Yeah, yeah. Well, I met in person when I could actually hug you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good to see you. I'm glad you're doing this with me. Um, obviously, I want to say thank you to everyone who's been uh, listening and, and tuning into what, what we're doing here on the Cogan Conversation. Uh, obviously, this is a passion project. We're trying to make the most of this and figure out the logistical uh, side of, of doing a podcast. And we're new to this, so I, we appreciate your support, uh, likes, and shares. So keep doing that. Um, obviously, this is a conversation with the backdrop of whiskey. And I always have good conversations with my buddies, like Curtis, while having a glass of whiskey. So speaking of that, Curtis, what are you drinking? I uh, happen to be drinking the same thing you are today, which is Tin Cup from uh, Colorado. It's actually a, a joint whiskey between uh, a, a brewery and, or a, sorry, a distillery in Indiana and Colorado. Cool, cool. Yeah, I know. It's, I think it's a high rye bourbon that they mix it with. And uh, I know the camera can kind of see this um, to my right here. It is blown me away. I love this whiskey. It has that spice of rye, but it's very sweet and mellow, and it just goes down so smooth. And I know you're from Colorado, right? That is actually why I started drinking it. Yeah, see, I I was I, I kind of had that thought. I'm like, you know what? Curtis is coming on. We got to have some hometown flavor to welcome the hometown boy. Oh yeah, for a thirty dollar uh for a thirty dollar bottle of whiskey, it's a very good sipping whiskey. It is. It is. So that's what we got going on in our glass tonight. Um, obviously, I'm gonna I'll post more about uh, the whiskey. It'll be featured in the description, uh, on the video, on the podcast, all that stuff. Um, but I, I guess. I invited you on because you you've been one of my favorite people to have conversations with about all the shitty things going on in the world because I mean God knows there is a cornucopia of things to talk about right now uh, never ending uh, opinions on every side possible and a lot of times people just forget that there's nuance involved with all these topics right there are different perspectives there are different reasons there are different things behind every issue and a lot of times we see in the media that people are just posting, uh, you know, this tagline that makes it seem like, oh, well then, you know, if you, if you, if you are this, then you must be this. Well, that's not fair because there's more to it than that. So I know you and I have always had great conversations, kind of fleshing out ideas, fleshing out our own opinions. And I think we've both learned something from each other. I, I value the opinion of others, no matter where they come from, what they do, what their background is. I, I, I really enjoy that. So, uh, I guess I'll just ask you, what do you think about all this going on right now? Obviously right now we're in the midst of uh, a bunch of protests going on. COVID-19 is kind of at the tail end. Maybe who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. But um, what are your thoughts, general thoughts? How do you feel? Well, uh, I feel like in a world of a lot of gray areas, every side is kind of talking about the blacks and the whites, you know, in respect to the size of the argument. It's either you're with us or you're against us on, on both sides of every argument. And uh, that's actually probably a problem itself is that there's only left and right of, of every topic. So no one's really trying to uh, reach across that aisle to talk about, you know, what we have in common as opposed to what we are currently fighting against. And I think a lot of that's driven by uh, a lot of mainstream media and social media because as, as much as we disagree, especially in this country, uh, the United States, there's a lot that we agree on. So I think that we're not focusing enough on what we're all in this together as opposed to what we're all disagreeing on. I'd agree with that. And I, th I think 
the good a perfect example is I think like George Floyd's death was was tragic and terrible to watch that was recorded. And of course this is a whole new dynamic that the the the, the police and the communities are facing when people everyone has a camera on their their hip. You know, we can just pull out our phone and record something immediately. And uh, you know, that's a good thing. People should be on check, you know, on notice and be able to be checked and balanced and whatnot and and held accountable for certain things, but you know, I think there was not one person out there who disagreed with the fact that that officer and the other three officers that were involved were in the 100% wrong. I don't think there was one person that was against that. But from the ashes of that tragedy came a resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, the, the resurgence of this this kind of racial tension and debate that goes on in this country. And we go, we fall right back into what you just talked about. We fall right back into our sides and we fail to understand the nuance between the issues. So like for one moment, we all got together and said, yes, that was terrible. And, you know, justice for, for him. And hopefully we can prosecute the cops quickly. Um, but then that turned into either you're for or you're against the police. And now we have a trending hashtag called defund the police, which, yeah. And, and, you know, it is, do, do they mean literally to defund the police or are they just using that because it's a kitschy title to have on social media? Like that's the, that's a problem too. I, I don't know. Well, I've actually, uh, I saw a, a, uh, post on Facebook, you know, the great social media and that actually brought up a really good point. Uh, some person who is very much in favor of the defund the police trending hashtag is, uh, they're saying that when they say defund the police, they're not just saying, Hey, eliminate the police department. What they're saying is, is uh, defund the police, give the police less money, but then take that money that you're taking from them and then, and then putting it in other avenues that, you know, the, the police have traditionally taken over, like uh, domestic abuse, mental uh, health problems, you know, all, all these, like, because the police over the last, you know, a couple of decades have kind of been this, like, blanket problem solver. Right. You know, if there's something wrong, call 911. And... So I don't necessarily disagree with some people who support that type of movement, but I don't think that's indicative of what everyone who's saying defund the police, they're saying, or are, are, are trying to get at. Because, you know, a lot of them are saying defund the police because they want the police gone. You know, there's uh, people out there saying, fuck 12, you know, get rid of cops, all cops are evil. So I think the there's a, you know, a minority of people who want to see actual benefit in their communities when they say defund the police. But the vast majority, like the like the rioters, which some of them I do genuinely believe are out here trying to get fight for racial equality. Mm-hmm. But you know, like with the with the defund the police, most of them are just using this as a uh, an attack point to give them a reason to riot or protest or you know try to uh, eliminate the police force. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you it's hard to quantify how many people are taking advantage of a situation within like the looting and the rioting? How many people are in target just taking advantage of the fact that target is basically helpless in this moment and Oh, free TV. And is it, is it fair for the media on either side to characterize that as, 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 as the entire pool of people out there doing what they're doing? And, you know, I, I think we've all disavowed looting and, 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 and rioting in, in destructive and violent ways, but I, 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 I don't think that that's true, actually. I don't think we all have uh, condemned yeah. rioting or looting. I, there's a lot of people that are saying, hey, they're, they're doing this because it's their last-ditch effort. You know, uh, yeah. uh, 
the the African American and the black community has for you know so long deal with this oppression and they've tried the peaceful protesting route, they've tried other avenues and they think that this is their last chance. And while I don't necessarily agree with the tactics, I can I can at least understand why they think that. Do you think that the I mean the, the 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 thing that keeps coming that we keep coming back to uh, that has kind of led to the national spotlight was Kaepernick taking the knee, Ooh, right? Yeah, yeah, well, and, and, and Kaepernick for for worse or for better is what became the face of that of, of kneeling during the national anthem during uh, uh, during an NFL game. And to be fair, the NFL only had recently in the last I want to say ten years started playing the national anthem and doing the flyovers and whatnot, um, which is also an interesting factoid, but. It doesn't matter. The point the point is that it, it whether we agree or not with the tactic that Kaepernick was using, uh, the the side that was against him that thought it was wrong immediately t- attributed it to you know uh, disagreeing with the the country or or or, or uh, um, disrespecting the military, disrespecting the flag when he himself explained you know whether we want to believe him or not, whether we think that he did a PR stunt or not. It, I I think that. The fact that that fell on deaf ears, I wonder if that led, that helped lead up to this, where it's like, well, you didn't like us peaceful protesting and during your 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 precious football game, so now we're gonna riot. Well, I think that it was a significant event, but I don't think that was the the beginning of all this, right? Because the the Civil Rights Act, mm-hmm. the Civil Rights Movement of the '60s, it started there. And there's been a lot, I think, I believe, that there's been just so much progress in this country on, on that avenue and, you know, pretty much all aspects of life. Like, we've gotten progressively better. But, you know, there's still, everyone's still fighting for whatever their cause is. And I think that we're just kind of in a resurgence of this um, uh, equality movement. So I think right. Colin Kaepernick was definitely one of the newer events that has triggered this latest series of movement. What do you think about the systemic, like, oh, first of all, what do you think about the term systemic racism? Is that is that a fair term to, to put on, or do you think there's more to that? No, I, don't, I, I really don't uh, agree with that term. I don't think systemic racism is really a thing in, in America. I think America is one of the least racist countries in the world. Um. And I've actually, I have experienced racism because I, I'm Jewish, which I think, I think you knew. I yeah. had a, uh, 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 a, uh, team member when I was a wildland firefighter who was just tatted head to toe and neo-Nazi, everything hated me just cause I was Jewish. Knew nothing else about me. Didn't know where I was from. Didn't know what I believed in. Didn't know nothing about me, but he hated me because I was Jewish. So I think racism is definitely a real thing and it's still still out there i don't think that there's any anything like systematically in place to further any racist ideals because i think as as a country top to bottom i have yet to see anywhere where people genuinely think racism is okay i i've seen it condemned on all fronts yeah no i i think i'd agree that 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 all fronts and and all people that I've talked to as well have have condemned and are are not on board with racism. Like the the, the vast minority of this in this country who 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 think that you know 
uh, people other than white people are subservient to them. You know, I, that's a disgusting thought, and obviously we, we know that we, we've come from a long way. But I think, I, think that, I think systematic racism or systemic racism more points to the administrative uh, issues in government itself. Like they're the bureaucratic regulations and laws and things that have reverberated through the years. I mean, it, wasn't only, it was only 50 years ago since Jim Crow. And I mean, people, people's grandparents and parents are alive today who, who marched with Martin Luther King. And it was only, I, I think as Joe Rogan put it, only three people ago when we had slavery. Three, you know, it's that's that's kind of a sobering thought, and I'm I just wonder, are there things that they aren't on purpose? Like there aren't any laws or things that are on purpose discriminating against a certain race anymore because it's unconstitutional, and if they, if it if it does exist, then it goes to the Supreme Court, and then you can file charges and all that stuff. That our legal system is set up to prevent that, um, but there is still kind of crawling back from the fact that lots of cities, including my own hometown, Milwaukee redlined a lot of uh people of color who were just who were who they didn't want them to be inter intermingled with the white community so they made sure to redline and deny them uh, affordable housing in certain areas and gerrymander the the districts to make sure that the blacks lived here in the ghetto and the whites lived here and that that only happening 50 years ago it's hard to to naturally get out of that when the shackles of government have restricted housing affordability in one way because government sucks and it can't do anything right even though even though the laws have changed uh that that systemic nature from past issues still exists mm. yeah i mean i can definitely see how there are relic relics of the last you know 250 years plus of our country have still you know there are reverberating effects second third and fourth order effects that, that are that we're still dealing dealing with but you know that's what the i think the civil rights movements have been about over the last 60 70 years that's you know we have been getting better mm. and i understand the frustration for a lot of people that think that it's not happening fast enough and so that's why i, I was saying earlier i don't necessarily disagree with some of these people who are who are uh, rioting and protesting uh but i think that is just disingenuous to to say that like we're this you know evil racist nation when we have been the front runners for equality yeah no. i i think i think perspective is a big part of this because there are so many countries out there that have it so much worse yeah absolutely um i mean i know you know that i i, I think it I, I don't want to say that in a way to to, to, to take away from the, the struggle that, you know, black people have had in this, in this nation. I mean, the sin of, of this country is, will always be slavery, and, and that that's a tough thing to break out of. But Yeah, for, for sure. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, saying that we've made these strides doesn't detract from our, our history because, I mean, there is no country, no nation, no empire— in all of history, that did not have its atrocities. And America right. is not free of sin. Right. But we have learned, and we are learning, and we're continuing to learn. And I think we're, we are, we have been moving towards a better, more equal society. Do you think part of that learning, though, is going to start taking, like, I've been taking form in ways that aren't, 
that might be counterproductive. Like we're 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 moving forward in a way that's that's great, and and now the new this resurgence of uh, racial tension and, and and debate about equality and what's going on in 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 the police especially. Do you think there's anything going on that could be counterproductive to where emotionally we want something right now because it feels good because we're angry, and this is the legislation we're proposing or or whatever. Where you know maybe in the long run this isn't good for the actual you know goal which is equality or to have uh, a, a system that is hopefully colorblind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with all progress and all change, there comes that uh, that uh, risk of progress for the sake of progress's sake. I mean, sorry, right. change for the sake of progress or change's sake. That doesn't necessarily equal progress. Change doesn't necessarily equal progress. Um, there can definitely be some second and third order effects that are not intended. With like with like say the defund um, the police movement. You know, uh, I think it was what was it? Minneapolis has has said something about uh, disbanding their police force. Yeah, their city council. Their city council voted on it. I think yesterday, which is uh, June eighth, um, they uh, they voted to dismantle the police department. Yeah, and you know that I feel like that is viewed as a huge win for the Black Lives Matter movement, and whether or not there is there has been that systemic racism that that, that they view and they see as, as a real threat, and if if so, that's a win for them. But regardless of that, there are going to be, you know, other people who have benefited from the police department being around that are no longer right. going to have those those benefits. You know, there's going to be those spousal uh, disputes. You know, yep. there's going to be those uh, those victims of uh, of uh, uh, rape, of uh, beating, of like you know, murder. Right. There's going to be all these other victims that are no longer going to have those protections that they relied on in the past. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I used to work in uh, criminal justice. I was in pretrial services for two years, and it's more of a social work part of the of the system. And I have always been a, a giant advocate for uh, uh, my agency, uh, Justice Point, which is a nonprofit out of Milwaukee that is contracted by the county. Uh, they beat out the uh, Wisconsin Community Services, which is a state-run community services, because the government can't run anything correctly. Nonprofits do it better. Um, I agree. That's my hot take. But I, I mean, I saw firsthand they they helped reduce recidivism. They worked with these people, people who were in and out of the system, often treated like numbers because the judges don't have enough time to give all of their human energy to these people that might need help. And also judges who don't know the the resources that exist, but not just the judges, but the police and the police who are arresting these people or, or dealing with these people day in and day out. I mean, there are a lot of police officers who out there who form relationships for worse or for better with the homeless community. And, you know, is there a is there a better way or maybe more training or maybe more funding or maybe more uh, a different way to look at it or maybe have police officers shadow the job that I used to have as a caseworker just to understand the system in a more empathetic way and maybe approach that with, with having more tools in your in your belt than just the guy who's going to come arrest you. Yeah, and I actually, so whenever I see the defund the police movement, what I think would be a better uh, or at least a compromise is instead of defunding them, 
uh, scale them back and use that money that you are now saving on uh, uh, bodies to train the remaining officers to, to, to know the laws better, make, make them go through a longer academy, uh, make them learn how to uh, manipulate weapon systems better because I've seen some of these videos where these guys are just like, they're running on instinct, but uh, you know, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall back on your, on your, uh, on your prior training. So right. I think that the money can be better spent training a, a better selected police force as opposed to just eliminating them entirely. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I, I think, I, and I, I've made this comment for everything, whether it be military, whether it be education, whether it be uh, social services or anything, it's not about how much you spend. It's about how you spend it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a long-running issue with now. I mean, the militarization of the police and, and all these fancy weapons and you know, police having APCs. And you know, it's like, is this necessary to have in certain communities right now? You can make the argument maybe for Chicago because it's hard to control right now because things are kind of crazy. But again, I don't live there. I'm not an officer there. I don't want to speak to that. But would it be more effective for the money rather than just giving them a grab bag of guns and weapons and, and cool armor and cool shields and cool... Uh, tanks. I mean, you're you're there to serve and protect. You want to have the optics that you are a, a comforting figure. I I mean, how often do we drive down a highway and we white knuckle our 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 steering wheel because oh shit, there's a cop. <laughs> and obviously, you know, we we also want to be able to have you know road signs obeyed and we want to be sure we're being safe. But we need to make sure we're 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 t- changing the culture of of respect and how do we respect authority if if authority doesn't respect us and if if the if the government is just using the police as an extension of its malpractice that's that's a that's a topic i'm very torn on because uh i do support the police force i, I support cops and you know i think i genuinely believe the vast majority of them are they they join the police force same reason why most people join the army or the marines or you know the just the armed forces in general because they want to serve their their country and their community. But right. at the same time, I do believe that a lot of them, you know, they have a job to do and they're gonna do it. And so even if some of these laws are unjust or if they you know they think that it's kind of maybe they don't agree with those laws, they're still gonna enforce them because it's their job. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, like I said I'm back and forth on it. I support them, but I also think that the way that the police force is employed could change. I think it should go back to you know how it used to be in the past, or it was like to protect and serve. They weren't this tactical force to deal with all of this crazy stuff, you know. Right. They're like the police or the the law enforcement has just grown and grown and grown over the years. And I think that as a society, we have become so reliant on them that a lot of families just don't know how to protect themselves. So yeah, well, they, I think they the reliant the reliability aspect is, is kind of twofold, right? Like we we rely on them because they are reliable. You call nine one one in a lot of cities, and they will show up within minutes, and that has led to a lot of uh, misplaced domestic violence calls. You have a lot of issues where uh, the wife or the husband or, or the, the, the cohabitants are, are, are fighting or they can't settle a dispute. It got verbal. Maybe someone threw something, didn't hit anyone, and they call the cops. Now, the cops in a lot of states are required to make an arrest because it was a, it was a domestic violence 
dispute. Mm-hmm. Now, was it necessary for us to call the police in that situation? Do we need to figure out maybe a more cultural uh, band-aid to make sure that we're not so level 10 all of a sudden? And it's like, well, I'm going to call 911. I'm just going to call the police. It's like that that shouldn't be our knee-jerk reaction. We should have more tools in our own personal belt to figure out how to independently solve problems. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, I think that there is definitely, and it is universally agreed upon, I think, uh, that there needs to be a change in how police or law enforcement is employed. Because, like you said, I mean, me, I'm a law-abiding, you know, God-fearing American man, and I'm still, if I'm driving 66 in a 65, and I see a cop uh, maybe flip a Yui, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm getting pulled over. You know, I start white-knuckling it. I sh- you know, nobody should be afraid of the, 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 of the police department. Nobody should be afraid of a cop. No. So I think the, the really the argument isn't whether or not cops are good or bad, but the argument is really about how to come to a compromise on how we can reform that system. How, how do you think cops could approach this going forward, though? Because we've seen a lot of these videos where you police are on camera, whether it's their own body cam or someone recording them on a dash cam or whatever. And, I mean, I think we've seen it too many times, but you see a, a, a person of color, a black person, get shot. Or, you know, the, the cop seems to be trigger happy or they're, they're just nervous or, you know, it's like... Is that a racial bias that the the officer is now pulling someone over and now, oh, they're black, so they're going to be a little bit more ready because they watch videos online and they know what's going on and it's going to be, you know, is there is there a subconscious level there that we have to try to break through and make, make, make sure that we have cops that are trained to understand that not every situation is the same, but also have citizens understand that you have to make sure that you listen and, and are open and are, are, are responsive without making any kind of sudden movements. Like, I, But I also don't want a police state. I don't want us to think that it's okay for cops to just profile. No, yeah, I absolutely. Um, the, the way that I see that is that, you know, uh, a cop is just like any other profession. They're mm-hmm. a person, a man, a woman, whoever they are, they're a normal citizen put in that that situation and how they react you know is definitely greatly enhanced by their their level of training but also some people are assholes that guy that was kneeling on that 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 george floyd's neck you know regardless of how much training he was that guy was a dick yeah for lack of a better term i'm sorry like the guy was just he shouldn't have been doing that and the lowest level of training that law enforcement gets from, you know, friends that I have in law enforcement, know that that's not okay. So regardless of how much training you give for cultural sensitivity or actual tactical knowledge, that's not something that you can train into. Being a good person isn't something you can train into somebody. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's tough too, because I've heard arguments for and against, um, having like a quota system where you have cops that are only cops in areas where they live. So they have a stake in the community, but that's, that's difficult to do when you have like places like New York, New York's so expensive and and an officer's paycheck will not cover their studio apartment. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, so I feel like that's a good idea in theory. Right. Uh, you know, theoretically that, that, that would be the best system because I'm, I'm sure, 
especially in some smaller uh, communities, like you're going to know the people that you're interacting with and you're going to get to know them better by working the beat. But yeah, like you can't afford to live in New York or Seattle mm-hmm. or LA as, as a cop. Like you just, you cannot live in city proper. You're going to have to be out in the suburbs. But um, I don't think that that's necessarily the problem. You know, I think how much do you... I think social media does a fairly good job as it is, you know, or uh, not necessarily social media, but the uh, the um, environment surrounding social media in our society. Everyone has a phone, just like you said, and every single thing a cop does right or wrong is three seconds away from the world. You upload it and everyone can see it. So I think that's that's already a system that's in place, you know? I think, uh, like I was telling you, some people are just assholes. And I think a lot of these situations have probably been prevented because they know that there's a camera on them. And if they do something wrong, they're going to be on the chopping block. I, I do wonder, too, though, how many assholes are created from the force not taking care of their employees because of the lack of resources. I mean, I'm, PTSD is a real thing. I have a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot, excuse me, a lot of friends who are either in the military or the police or EMTs or first responders, and they have seen some shit. I mean, there's no question about it. And I mean, I, I wonder if part of that reforming and restructuring how we spend our money in the police departments. And obviously that has to be localized and, it, it, you know, the federal government can't come in and just and dictate what happens. It has to be per community, by community. But if they had some kind of better psychological awareness and maybe ruin, ruin the stigma that it's, you know, not manly to get help or talk to a therapist or it's not you're not macho like you're still going to you're going to be a great cop if you talk to someone and have a, a good conversation about what you're going through if you need the help and just to make sure that those psyche valves and those those therapists are there and it doesn't have any you know bearing on your job or your or your uh you know your your ability to perform it actually should help you it should help you do a better job because you're able to not bottleneck all your feelings not bottleneck all these because you go, you go on that one call that you see the scum of the earth who's doing something terrible to a child or something, and now automatically you are like vengeful. You want to get it's just human nature. Mm. I so, think uh, I, I think that that a lot of systems like that are already in place. But again, it comes back to the funding and where you're allocating your resources. A lot of that stuff is probably underfunded. And if you have smaller police forces, and you can now have money freed up to spend it in better areas, then you can fund those type of uh, psychological, you know, uh, behavioral health uh, resources. So, you know, you know me, I'm very pro small government. I understand, I understand the purpose of government and I understand that it is a very necessary institution. But if you, if you were to keep it smaller, you can have better results. I think you can, you can uh, regulate and control the government better if it's smaller, you know, you don't have these, these overreaching, these massive, uh, organizations or, I mean, departments and, you know, you have fewer police officers, you have fewer people to take care of psychologically. And if you have the same amount of money going into that much smaller of a force, then you can probably have a better impact on their psychological health because you have more of a direct, you know, avenue instead of just 
I know a lot of people, a lot of departments, sorry, uh, if an officer like shoots his gun in the, uh, like in the field or whatever, they have to talk to a, uh, to a psychiatrist or, you know, somebody. And I, I feel like for, you know, these massive departments, if that happens often, it's kind of like just one of those check the blocks thing. Right. As opposed to if you have a smaller police force, a smaller, better trained police force, and that, that happens, you can have them come in and actually talk and actually have this person care because he doesn't have 50 people to see that week. He has 10. That psychiatrist can spend more time on the individual. No, I, I think you're 100% right, and I, I would even branch off that, that you know, the government. I'm, I'm a small government, too. I think the government has its place, and the Constitution lays that out pretty clearly, in my, my opinion. But... Um, the, I think, I think the, the government can, can deregulate and leave so much more room for social services and community advocates to do much, much more good. I mean, one of the examples I've heard, uh, recently is, you know, like you have to call a cop if you, if you hit a deer, like in, in Northern Wisconsin, where, where I'm from, if you hit a deer on the highway and you know, you, you ruin your front end of your car and there's no one else around, you have to call it in. You have to call the cops. The cops come out and help you. Why is an officer doing that? Does an, do you need an actual trained law enforcement officer to show up to help you report a, a, a deer that has been hit by your car? That should be reserved to the DNR, or maybe maybe there could be a social entrepreneur or a community advocate in the area that has set up a specific thing to, you know, any deers hit by a car, uh, we then process and we donate to homeless shelters to help feed them. Right. There, like, there are ways to do things that the government does not allow us to do. Yeah. Well, you know, as well as I do, that the government's inefficient. <laughs> no, no way. No way. Yeah. Go figure. But uh, th- that's one of the problems, I think, with having such a large government is that you can't run something so massively, so efficiently with so few people in charge. Right. You know, Uh. The, that's a that is a problem that should be ran by the state government without any interference from the federal government. But uh, I I don't know, man. I, I uh, I've I've done a lot of reading recently that's kind of made me see the importance of government. Uh, okay. I, I used to be very much like you know government bad, no government, uh, <laughs> period. But uh, I think that a lot of that stuff has like there has to be government. Uh, intervention to make sure that things are running the right way, you know, make sure that yeah. like, things aren't being mis- mismanaged or unethically treated. Mm-hmm. So that's, I don't know, that's just one of those uh, community based answers. Like, yeah, you, ha- you have to find an answer within your community and see what people think is the right way to handle situations like that. Because, yeah. yeah. There, there could be a, a you know, a, a com, like a community based or like a like a civilian kind of department that can handle that. But, you know, how is that going to get set up? Who's going to run that? Yeah, you want to be you want to definitely be careful with having like like if you were to set up your own butchery and or be, you would have to be subject to then inspection. Right. Yeah. Because you don't want to have someone who's selling meat to someone who is, you know, not cleaning their tools and, you know, doing things. However, 
the the more libertarian argument would be the fact that you know the free market would decide whether or not that person stays in business. So if that person is making you know half the city sick, well then that person's not going to get service. Therefore, he goes under, and a better person who's more keen to what the community wants is will will then win out. Um, but that again, the free market isn't perfect, and libertarianism isn't perfect, and the government isn't perfect, and you know, having more welfare programs isn't perfect. the The, the point is, I think, the path to good and the the path to hell is paved with good intentions, right? So I think there are a lot of regulations that, especially in the police force and how things are done in the force, uh, I think there are ways we can we can alter them to be more. I don't know, judicious for the certain situations that we're in right now. Well, yeah, and that's what I was getting back to earlier uh, when we first started the uh, the podcast. The people are living or are seeing in black and white in a world full of gray. Yeah. You know, there can be, you know, those civilian-ran institutions that can handle all these, these, uh, these problems, but there has to be some type of government... Uh, I don't want to say oversight because it kind of makes it seem like they're in charge. But, you know, government, uh, just like like a sounding board. Maybe some of the stuff is unethical. Maybe some stuff, some, some of the stuff is wrong. Because without the government and you just let the, the free market take over, then there, the, then there, there arises the problem of crony capitalism. Right. I'm very, I'm very pro-capitalism, obviously. <laughs> you know me. But oh, yeah. there, there is, uh, if you leave capitalism... To its own devices, it can run rampant, and they're they're definitely you know looking to make it as efficient and cost effective and uh, uh, you know cost producing as pot or uh, sorry avenue uh, revenue producing as possible. And if some people get hurt in the way, they don't care. Right, and that's where where small government can come in and regulate to a, an extent. Well, and have have more, you know, well-written, less vague regulation that doesn't open up the can of worms of like, like there, like a lot of the, a lot of the the EPA regulation defines waterway as something that has water in it, and like that, that leaves room for a lot of interpretation, and that like it that that is counterproductive to helping save ecosystems and the environment in certain ways, but you're screwing over someone who owns a house and wants to build a a, a fence in their backyard because oh they have. Uh, marshland during these three months. It, you know, it's things that don't make sense. So I think you're right. I think smaller government can do a more efficient job at regulating the important things. Obviously, protecting our life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, happiness, our property, um, making sure that there is racial justice, making sure there is not discrimination just because of your your sexual orientation, your 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 gender, whatever. You know, you can make sure that those things aren't happening in a heinous way. Um, but I think I. I think this 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 chaotic time we're in right now is indicative of the the, the possibility of change, and I think that the the people's voice more than ever might be the most powerful tool. And I think our legislators on the right and the left are realizing that they their power is not absolute. And I think whether we agree with the, the, the words being you know touted by certain protesters in the streets or whether we agreed or not with the protesters back when COVID-19 lockdowns were being protested, um, it needs to be, the government needs to constantly be reminded that we are their employers. You know, they work for us. And um, I think it's difficult, but 
here's another here's another one because I know I know we kind of we're kind of going on a tangent about how terrible government is. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you what do you think about this? I just I just read this uh, today, um, and obviously this is an ongoing issue, and I, I'm kind of curious because I'm trying to rack my brain about about it. I have family in the South. I have uh, lots of love for the South. I I I, I was in Missis- Northern Mississippi for a lot of my childhood, and uh, this is a hot button issue down there. The Confederate the Confederate flag, Confederate monuments, Confederate memorials, things that a lot of like what Black Lives Matter and people who are you know allies to the the black struggle in this country, which is a very real struggle. I think we 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 both agree that there are things that we have to make sure we are aware of and address and understand and be empathetic to, but. That you know they view those items as a reminder of you know days gone by for the South. That the South obviously the states' rights, well, states' rights to do what, own slaves. That there was obviously a lot more to it as well. That it was a very nuanced thing. But slavery was one of the big you know horrible things that happened. I mean, the North, the North was no picnic either. There were lots of racists in the North, no question. Uh, <laughs> but you know. Do what do we do with the monuments? What do we do with the memorials? Do we what, the Navy and the Marines just recently said that you cannot have the Confederate displayed any? You know, I don't know. You know, so the the Marine Corps and the Department of the Defense as a whole, uh, that's a completely different animal. They should be because uh, when when you when you join the military, you give up some of your rights. Right. Uh, you know, no fans and butts about it. You give up some of your rights in order to protect the rights of the rest of the nation. So what they decide to do is their own machinations. Let them do what they do. But some of these, you know, Civil War monuments that people are graffitiing and destroying and all that stuff. I understand why. And that's that's the big thing is understanding why they're doing. I don't agree. I don't agree with it to any extent but i at least understand why they're doing it because it it is a reminder because yes the civil war was fought for states rights but i don't think that there's any argument over what the states rights were initially which was owning slaves right so you know some of these uh these civil war generals and you know the battles that were won by the by the by the uh confederacy that are that are standing they, they can be a pretty big black eye for a lot of people who come from families that had ancestors who were slaves. But the reason why I don't agree with tearing them down or, you know, condemning them is that that is still a huge infringement on, uh, you know, the First Amendment, freedom of speech. Because those are just big representations of freedom of speech. If those communities find historical value in them then it should be there you know shouldn't shouldn't it i agree i agree with the first amendment i think i think if anyone in this country wants to fly whatever flag they want to what whatever tattoo they want to and say the words whatever they want to i i 100 support the first amendment but i think it we get into a dicey territory when you have a monument like the the robert e lee statue that's in richmond virginia yeah that is that is a state-owned and state maintained by tax dollars of all people across Virginia. Mm. And if it's if it's tax payer, you know, dollars that are being used to maintain these statues, that's where we get into dicey territory because then that's not free speech. That's the government making you 
it's coercing your money out off of you and paying for something that you don't agree with. Yeah. I am I am 1000% in favor of having democratic, you know, processes to make sure that these either go away or stay. If a community down south wants to keep it up and 99% of the people who live in that community want to keep it up, I don't care. That is your choice as a community. But I don't want the state or the county or the city or whatever to use my dollars if I don't agree with it. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's that's a hard one because it's also kind of hard to tell who's the majority right now. Yeah, you know, because uh, there's definitely, you know, if you if you look at the media, it seems like these people who want to tear down these um, monuments and these establishments are the majority. But I don't necessarily know if that's true. They could just be getting the the screen time. But, yeah, oh man, yeah. I, I don't know. The the reason why I think that that's uh, an issue tearing down some of these like these uh, these monuments is that regardless, good or bad, they were still prolific figures in our history, good or bad. I mean, if if that's a statue standing, you can make it us uh, uh, just a big representation of everything that that was wrong with your past, and you can use that as fuel to make a better society but also you know robert e lee was a great general regardless of whether of what side he was fighting on and it reminds me of a i have a, I have a bulgarian friend who's uh here visiting america and he's actually been a, a pretty big mentor of me of mine in jujitsu he's been teaching me a lot and he's uh just a really intelligent man who's been teaching me some of his, his history mm. of his country and there was a battle in World War One between Britain and uh, Bulgaria, and Britain was out outnumbering and outclassing the Bulgarians in their equipment, their training, and uh, uh, their 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 leadership. You know, but the Bulgarians they had one you know a battlefield commander that was just apparently on it he knew what he was doing he had this whole defense system he had they're outnumbered like five to one uh or more and he held them them back for three separate engagements which was just insane the british the british dropped a hundred thousand plus shells on on this bulgarian uh front and at the end of the war because you know obviously uh we won the Britain, America, and everyone else on the Allied forces won. And uh, at the end of the war, the uh, the British actually invited that that battlefield commander over to uh, to England, and you know recognized, hey, whatever our differences were, we recognize your ability and we recognize how well you fought for your ideals. Because I, th and, and the reason why I think that's so profound. Is that in, in today's society, it's always us versus you. There's no trying to understand the other side. Because morality isn't right or wrong. It's what you in, intrinsically feel is right or wrong. You know? Right. For, uh, you know, abortion as an example. A whole other, a whole other podcast. <laughs> 
I, I, but it, but it relates. I'm sorry. I know. But it relates. I know. You're fine. I'm, I'm giving you a shit. But uh, morally speaking, on one side, they're pro-choice because they think that it is a it is morally right to give that 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 woman a choice over her body. Mm-hmm. And on the on the flip side, the uh, the uh, people on the other side think that it is a moral obligation to protect the unborn life. So each side is coming from a uh, point of moral obligation. They're both moral. They're just different morals. Yeah, and I I, I think I I agree with 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 your your synopsis. I, I agree with with the with the the diagnosis. I really do. I think that the problem though is that we it's a it's a weird stain on our country the civil war because the monuments the monuments that that we are now debating weren't erected in 1865 when the south lost right the, a lot of the history shows that the monuments were erected in the 1920s and the 30s with the resurgence of the KKK oh so those monuments were put up how many years after in the south just to intimidate and to remind citizens who were of color that ah, uh-uh. even though the Civil War was lost and the Confederacy lost, you know we still live here and this is still our ground. And a lot of army forts are named after Confederate generals. A lot of street signs are named after Confederate generals. Um, I mean, Robert E. Lee was was a great general for sure. Abraham Lincoln himself asked Robert E. Lee to be his general, um, and Robert E. Lee said, "No, I have to fight for my home, Virginia, because it was about, you know, your home." And I think I'm, I'll, I'll even agree to the extent that, you know, the, the other side has certain morals, right? We can never quantify how many soldiers of the 600,000 that, pa- that perished in the Civil War, how many of them were for or against or agreed with, you know, uh, people of color having rights. But the, um, you know, these 17-year-old, 18-year-old, men who were just thrust into a war because their daddy said so you you know you you'd never know who what that soldier's specific morals were after this is all over after reconstruction happened they were still american citizens they were ushered back into the union and they had to raise families and be a part of this nation um yeah so i think the civil war is an interesting an interesting situation because a lot of the memorials I don't know. It's it's tough. It's I I'm not I'm not pro federal government coming in and saying no more Confederate memorials, but I'm also not pro putting up Confederate memorials <laughs> by the government. Yeah, right. no, I understand what you're saying, but um, and there there could definitely be truth to what you're saying is that some of these memorials were erected to try to be like we're still you know in charge here to to the to the people of color and. You know, if that is the case, I think that's terrible, no doubt right. about it. But what I was getting getting back to with that story of the uh, the Bulgarians and the and the British was that I'll, I think a lot of, you know like the the names of uh, the the military bases. I don't think that they were named after those generals or those battlefield commanders because of that. I think it was they were they were they were chosen because they were historically. Uh, prominent military leaders it, it wasn't it wasn't whatever side they were fighting on it was the fact that they were they were great american warriors yeah 
it, it's hard to not, especially the Civil War, it's hard to not make it about race. But again, a world of, of grays, like not everything was about race. Not every decision we've ever made has been about race. Yeah, I think that's the, the difficult part of, of the, all this going forward because I, 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 I consider myself you know, very empathetic and having worked in the criminal justice system, knowing the injustices that do happen to people on a, on a daily basis just because of the fact that we're human beings. I mean, there's a lot of bias when it comes to judges who are adjudicating on a Friday afternoon versus a Monday morning. I mean, Friday afternoon, you want to get you want to get out of the court, you want to get done. Monday morning, you had a weekend to digest your son's horrible report card, and you're going to, you know, the first guy you see, you're going to hammer down on him because you, you can, and it's a, it's a human element. And unless we make all courts and law enforcement and, and whatever, robots, yeah. so it's, it's, it's difficult. And I, I, think, I think it's very important for each side to understand that nuance and that gray area and that, that, that the fact that we all have biases. The, yeah, the human, the, the X factor of right. no matter what the, uh, the laws of the systems in place are, is that sometimes one single person, man, man one, one woman, can make a shitty call. Yep. No, hundred percent. So, yeah, I, I think I think it'll be interesting to see. I, I do want to say one last thing. I want to I want to plug this hilarious photo because I found it with the Confederate Memorial. Uh, someone tweeted on uh, tweeted on Twitter. <laughs> uh, it, the quote was, uh, "Pull down every Confederate statue except the Nathan Bedford Forest statue in Nashville." Um, if anyone wants to Google that, and I, Curtis, I'll send it to you later. But it's uh, Nathan. Bedford Forrest was a general in the Confederacy, and the statue that was erected in Nashville, I think it was in 1998, 1998, a Confederate general was put up. Now, aside from that, which I think is just terrible in the 90s, should not be putting up, and you know, that, that's just weird to me. Why are you putting up a Confederate general? But the statue is ugly and terrible and just poorly designed, and it looks like he sat down on a thumbtack, and he's like, his expression looks inhuman. And I, I thought it was hilarious because it's like, pull down everyone except for this one. Leave it up because it's kind of funny. <laughs> and it, 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 it kind of disproves white supremacy. <laughs> the fact that, <laughs> that no race is superior to another race. And that's, that's 100% true. And I, I know this conversation is, isn't exhaustive. We could keep going for hours on how, how to change things, how to approach this. Um, but... I appreciate I appreciate your input, man. I, I think this is this is an important dialogue to have, and I, I really hope that that the people, in, uh, whether it be on the Black Lives Matter movement or the people in the, in the who are you know pr uh, super All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter or you know back the badge, I hope that they all understand that their perspective is not inherently one hundred percent the only perspective that exists. Yeah, um, and I you know as much as I believe currently. You know, I, I like to believe that I understand all of the stances and, you know, I'm always looking to learn more and to improve my point of view or my, uh, my, my perception rather of the issues. But, you know, I, I had a lot of fun talking about it with you and you gave yeah. me a lot to think about. Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, you too, man. I think it's, it's, it's a good exercise whether, you know, whether or not we say things in the most eloquent way, especially because we're drinking whiskey, because that's, that's the point of this is to, to begin to slur our words at the end of the talk. <laughs> and uh, 
you know, whether we're saying things eloquently or, or we're, we're able to flesh things out in the, in the best way possible, I think these dialogues are very important to understand what's going on and also just good therapy for us to, you know, hash things out as, as friends, you know? Absolutely. So, well, hey, man, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on, and I, uh, I, I, really, I really enjoy this talk. Uh, I hope to have, on, have you on soon again. Maybe we'll talk about some other stuff. But uh, until then, uh, any parting words? We got a couple minutes left. No, I got nothing, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. This was a, was a fun experience for me, and it's always a great time talking to you about pretty much any topic. Cool. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks again. I appreciate it. Uh, everyone, like and subscribe. Please share. I uh, hope you enjoy this. Uh, we appreciate your support. If you're uh, interested in helping us out, go to pa our Patreon. Uh, the link will be in the description. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notification bell on YouTube. Uh, like, and, like and share on Facebook, Twitter, all the good stuff. I appreciate it, and I'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, Curtis. Cheers, man. Have a great one, brother.